All right, are we all set? You ready to go? All right, fantastic. Hang in there with me today. It's going to be uh, one of those teachings that I was studying through. It's like really the text says what it says. There's not a whole lot there, but what Peter does say in this passage, I feel is really important for all of us as followers of Jesus. But as I was studying through this week, if you remember a couple months ago when I was up here teaching, I told you that every time, um, especially when I get up here to teach, I know Pastor Dan goes through the same thing. Whatever we're teaching on, it seems to be the area that the, the devil likes to attack the most, right? And so this week, um, you know, last week I talked about the or last time I taught, I talked about the Parmesan cheese and, and, you know, how that led to, you know, yeah. So, which thank you all for the Parmesan cheese the following week, by the way. Now I just know if I have any needs, I'm just going to say, yeah, my wife didn't have peanut butter in the house and it's incredible. <laughs> I know that peanut butter will come. So thank you guys. But I was reminded that, you know, our walk as a follower of Christ is a lot like marriage. And, here, and here's what I mean by that. When, when we first give our lives to Christ, we can all point to a time where we say, I, I gave my life to Christ, or, or at least a point in our walk with Jesus that you kind of have that mountaintop experience, right? It's like you're praying, God's answering prayers, you're in the Bible, you're coming to church, you're involved, you're doing things, and you're just on fire for God. But then what happens over time is you have this kind of natural attrition. Things start getting in the way. You start working more. You have kids. Things happen. And so less and less you're getting involved and in church, and things start taking place, and you kind of go through this downward spiral a bit into the valley, and so you need that recharge to get involved and to get encouraged to be, uh, to step back in. Well, it's the same thing in marriage, you know, and this happened this week. We were, I was at lunch with my wife, and uh, we, we were enjoying some time together, and all of a sudden, this song comes over uh, the restaurant speaker, and I was like, man, this was, I looked at my wife, and I said, this reminds me of, of high school. I was dating this girl, and, and just so you know, I hate country music, hate it. Sorry. But, and so um, this song comes on. I was like, man, this was this from the first country song, uh, concert I ever went to in my life. And she looked at me and goes, you know, I've asked you to go to country concerts before. And you said no. And I was like, uh, yeah. And so I didn't know what to do with that one. But she goes, so who'd you go with? And I was like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. We'll just, you know, care. Try to change the subject. But no, no, you know, you know, the wife was relentless, keep bringing it up. And so I went with an ex-girlfriend, you know, in high school. This was years ago. So, you know, but it, it made me think that when, when you start uh, dating the woman that you want to be your wife, you start doing everything you can to invest in that relationship, right? You buy her flowers, you open the door, you take her to dinner, and you're doing all those things to try and really put your best foot forward. And then you get married, and over time, you know, your relationship starts to hit that curve, Right? where you just kind of, the flowers stop coming, and my wife will tell you, the flowers stop coming, and the, you know, it's like, you know, why don't you clean the house? I'm good, you know. That side of stuff takes place in our marriage, right? And so I started looking at these two things, and I was like, both of them take a whole lot of effort, right? It takes effort to, to uh, be married. It takes conscious participation from both partners to, to make that marriage last, but it's the same thing in our walk with Jesus. It takes effort, it takes effort. And one of the things that Peter's going to remind us of today is that there should be an urgency in our relationship with Jesus, that we should be t- taking the steps that we need to take, not only for our personal gain and our personal uh, walks with Jesus, but also for those that are around us. God wants to use us to participate in their lives as well. And see, at the beginning of the text today in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, Peter starts to help us understand this urgency. The very first thing he says is that the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. What Peter's trying to tell us is, look, we don't have the time to sit back and relax, is that the end of all things is near. Jesus is coming back. He has said so when he sent into heaven. He says, I'm coming back. And so Peter wants us to have that urgency that, look, you know, Jesus is coming back. 
And we have to live with that in the back of our mind, not living with fear, but living with the urgency that, you know what? We have friends, family members, coworkers, people in our lives that don't know Jesus yet. And if Jesus came back tomorrow, guess what? They're on the wrong side of that battle. And so we have to have that urgency in our lives. And so as I was thinking through this, uh, I was listening to the radio this week, and, and one of the things that they asked is that age-old question that if you knew you would die tomorrow, what are the things that you would do today to fully go out with a bang and really enjoy it? And so I think all of us can think through the things that we would like to do. You know, people were calling in and giving the typical answers. You know, I would go skydiving. You know, I've never always wanted to do it, but I'm scared. And if I knew I wasn't going to die skydiving, I would go skydiving. I would do bungee jumping, all that stuff. Spend time with friends and family were all the answers that came in. But as I was preparing for this teaching, it came to my mind, what if we flipped that question around? And I asked it to you like this. What would you want to say to somebody else knowing that they didn't have tomorrow. If you knew that they weren't going to be here tomorrow, how would you change your life today? And what would you want to tell them to prepare them for what was going to happen? And that's the urgency that Peter wants us to have in our relationship with Jesus, as none of us are promised tomorrow. Jesus is coming back, right? And so we have to have that urgency in our lives with those people around us. What would we want them to know? You see, Peter wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. And so when he says the end is near, in his perception, he didn't know when Jesus was coming back. And so he says, look, we need to live knowing that Jesus is coming back. Paul uh, echoed that in his writings. John echoed it in his writings, that the Lord is near, the time is coming. We need to live with that urgency. In fact, Jesus, at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, he says, yes, I am coming soon. One of the very last verses in the Bible. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Nobody knows that day or the hour. People guess, people always say, oh, he's, I know when he's coming back, but none of us know. And so we're to live with that urgency in our lives. And today, Peter's going to give us three examples, three areas in our life that we have to have that urgency as we move forward in our lives. And so 1 Peter chapter 4 Starting in verse 7, here's what he said. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, with that in mind, knowing that Jesus is coming back and that the end is near, here's what he says. Be of, ju- be of sound judgment and sober spirit, underlined for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. On your outline, I want you to write number one. The first point there is the end. when the end is near, we should be praying more. We should pray more. You see, a lot of us tend to uh, for- forget about prayer. Um, even, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not exempt from that by any stretch. You know, prayer is our direct link of communication with, with the creator of the universe. When we pray, we get to talk to God, right? And so anything that we request, he is listening. And it's our direct conversation with God, but yet sometimes we, we have trouble managing to find the time to talk to God. And I know that that happens again as you hit that attrition, things come up and, and things happen in our lives. But this is our opportunity to talk to God. And Peter's saying, look, when the end is near, you don't run the opposite direction. He says, look, you go directly to God. And we're going to see that example in Scripture as well. In verse 7 in the New King James Version, it says this. It says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And we've heard this exhortation to, to believers before. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the day before he is to be crucified, he tells his disciples this in Matthew 26, 41. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. Notice Jesus didn't encourage them to run away. He didn't encourage them to go do anything else. He says, look, my, my end is near. 
I'm going to go talk to the Father. He says, I'm going to go and pray. And he sets that example and he sets that tone for us. And you know, he goes and starts praying, comes back and his disciples are sleeping. He wakes them up, says, we need to be praying. He goes back and repeats that. But when the end is near, Jesus resorted to prayer. He says, above all, this is what I have to do first. And that's talk to the Father. And so for all of us, this is the first thing to go in our lives. But I would challenge you that this needs to be the most important piece of the puzzle when we live with that sense of urgency in our lives. We have two opportunities here. If you guys are here Sunday mornings, you'll see uh, Patricia, who I think is in here somewhere right now. I don't know where she, there she is, right up front here. Patricia, and I'm not, uh, I told her I was going to mention her this morning. I don't want to gloat on her too much because she's very, uh, very, does this for the right reasons. But you'll see her every Sunday morning walking around and praying over the auditorium. You'll see her praying over the children's ministry room. She goes next door uh, and a couple of women join her um, each morning just to pray over the services each morning. I'd encourage you all, if that's something that you would like to do, just write on your connection card, Sunday morning prayer or something. We'll get in touch with you. But during the week on Tuesday nights, we have a prayer group that meets in the conference room next door, and they just take time praying, praying over the church, praying over the country, praying over each other. But we have two to three women on Sunday morning. We probably have about 10 people Tuesday night, and we're a church of over 1,000 people. And you start to see the urgency that, that we need to have in prayer. We need to be looking to God and asking him, believing that he is doing a work here and believing that we have a place in this story as well. So I encourage you all, get involved and find your place to serve, but find your place to pray as well. You know, we can do it anywhere. When I was in college, um, I used to have a 10-minute walk to classes from my dorm. And so every day I kept a prayer card in my pocket and I would pull it out as I'm walking to class and just start reading over the prayer requests, praying for friends, uh, praying for family members and things like that. And when you talk about that urgency that we need to have, that's something that, that you know, I stopped doing years ago. But when I was on that mountaintop experience, when prayer was that important to me, I made sure every time I walked somewhere, I had that card with me. And so I would encourage you to be looking to Christ in prayer, to be lifting up these requests to him, but also to have that urgency. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Continue to lift your requests up to God. Talk to God and lift them up to him. One of my favorite stories of prayer in scripture is the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you have been here for, for child dedications, you know that that's where we get it from, is uh, Hannah was barren and wanted a child, and to the point where people were provoking her and making fun of her, that something's wrong with you because you can't have kids. And so it said she was weeping and crying because she so wanted to have a child. And she goes to God and says, God, if you will grant me this wish, I will dedicate him back to you in your service. And so she prays wholeheartedly. It says that she's crying and she's, she's praying to herself, but walking around and praying, it says that Eli, the, the, the uh, priest, sees her and says, are you, are you drunk? You know, because she's so intently praying over this request. And it said this, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son. Then I will give him the Lord Uh, to the Lord in all the days of his life, and the razor shall never come upon his head. In verse 12, it says, Now it came about that she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. So here's somebody that was intently praying, not only praying, notice that she was believing what she was praying. She tells God, but you will give me your maidservant a son. And so she was so intently praying, so fervently praying, had that urgency in her life, that people looking at her thought she was drunk, she was acting crazy, but she was requesting and believing what she was asking of God. The bottom line is that prayer takes effort. 
And I know sometimes it's hard. But like Jesus did, we need to make that number one in our life. Number one in our relationship with Jesus is our open link, our communication with God. On your outline, number two, the second thing that Peter talks to us about, he says this, we should love more. We should love more. And that's really tough to do in times like today. You flip on the news for about five minutes and you see there's not a whole lot of love going around our country, you know, politically. Uh, a lot of fighting going on, the world fighting going on, and it's, uh, it's you know, kind of spinning uh, out of control a bit. But Peter says, look, the end is near, and with that in mind, we need to love more. You see, Jesus, when he was asked by the Pharisees, he said, what's the greatest commandment? You guys know he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he said, the most important thing above all, you've got to love other people. You've got to love me. It's all about love. And Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, underline this, above all, above all, keep, underline, fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another, underline this one, without complaint, without complaint. See, the word fervent here is the Greek word ektenes, which literally means without ceasing or stretching out. So just like prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, pray without ceasing. In the same way, Peter here is saying we need to love without ceasing. This word is most often used talking about a sprinter as they're running towards the finish line. It says they're going to keep sprinting through the finish line, right? They're not going to stop early. They're going to sprint through the finish line without ceasing, but then if you watch uh, the Olympics or any uh, sprinting and stuff like that, they'll, they'll, it says they'll stretch out at the end, right? They kind of lean their head forward, trying to get that extra couple of inches to get across the finish line first. And that's the idea that Peter wants us to have. He says, you're going to run, uh, lead your life as if you're running a race. You're going to run and love without ceasing, love stretching out, doing whatever you can to love those around you. So above all, love without ceasing. And there are two types of love that Peter's going to talk about in this passage. Verse 8 is the first one. And on your outline, it is a covering love. It is a covering love. And this is a love that protects us. This is a love that protects us. <clears throat> you see, in this passage, Peter is quoting Proverbs chapter 10 when he says love will cover a multitude of sins. He's saying, look, it's protecting us from what we deserve. You see, when Jesus took the cross, we know that his blood covers us and it protects us from the punishment that we rightfully deserve for our sin. But it says that Jesus took our place. He covered us with his protection. This word to cover literally means to veil something or to hinder the knowledge of something. So something happens and nobody knows about it. You see, a lot of us sitting here have been hurt before. We have people in our lives that have hurt us. Some uh, have hurt us tremendously. But what he's saying is you are to love so much that you are to veil the knowledge of what has happened. You see, a lot of the times, you know, you hear the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. They want to take that and they want to tell everybody about it. They want to say, look what happened to me. Look what this person did to me because they want to bring other people down with them. And in the anger and the hurt of the moment, that tends to be how we want to react. But Peter's reminding us, look, this type of love, it protects, it covers. It doesn't allow people to know about that. It stretches, it stretches out and protects us and covers us. So Jesus has become the covering of our sin and we have become the cover for those around us as well. We are not to bring people down with us. We're not to hurt as we were hurt. And for some of us, that is uh, incredibly difficult. I know that there are people in here that have walked through situations that uh, most of us hope we never, ever have to walk through. Uh, some people have people in their lives that you would say, this person really is unlovable. 
You know, they've hurt you really bad. But what Peter reminds us is that as we live with that urgency in our lives, is that Jesus, guess what? He died for that person as well. No matter what they did to me, Jesus still loves them. And we are to love with that same type of love that he loves us, that love that covers us, that love that protects us. And uh, I remember about a year ago, or maybe a little over a year ago, I was sitting in my office, and um, somebody in our church came by with a letter and said, I want you to read this. I feel like God's telling me to, to share my story. And so I was sitting in my chair, and I was reading this story, and I was just, I was floored. Because what this person walked through, um, I couldn't imagine ever having to walk through. But what floored me even more was her response to that situation. And so she felt like God wanted to share her story. So this morning, we're going to take just a couple minutes, we're going to watch Lisa's story. A lot of you guys know Lisa. She's a greeter here. Um, she also serves in the cafe setup. Um, so let's take a couple minutes right now to watch Lisa's story. When I was growing up, I thought I was living a pretty average childhood. We lived in a beautiful raised ranch. We had two dogs, and um, everything seemed to be good. On December 22nd, 1982, shortly after midnight, I awoke to my mom whispering my name. I'd seen what I thought was a struggle. I ran to the phone to call 911 and to tell them that what I thought was my dad beating up my mother. So then they went and got my mother and they put her in the ambulance and they were trying to resuscitate her. As time went on, um, we realized that my mother was legally brain dead, that my dad took it to the point of no return. My mom was passed away and I, my dad was in jail and I really was searching, really, really searching. I was very angry in my heart I hated my dad for what he did to me and my mother. In Matthew chapter 6 is the Lord's model prayer. And verses 14 and 15 say, For if you forgive men who sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I was just so overwhelmed that in order to be forgiven, that I would have to forgive my dad. And that was something that was really hard for me to do because of the pain. I had so much anger and pain and hatred in my heart. I needed more of Jesus to be able to let it go. It was only through His Word that I was able to let it go. And it was only by His grace that I could. One day, I picked up the phone and I started dialing my father's number. I said, Dad, I just want to let you know that it still hurts, but I want to let you know that I forgive you and that everything will, you know, be okay. You know, we just didn't live in the past. We started living in the future. And in 2004, I took my family up to Connecticut and I was able to see my dad for the first time in many, many years. And he was able to meet my children a picnic and things and I got beautiful pictures and a lot of um, you know a lot of healing that went on forgiving somebody it's not easy it's not easy at all it can only be done by the grace of God and a lot of times you need more of him to do it that's what Jesus died on the cross for is um, for us and for people who sinned against us also So 
So I remember as I was reading through that story and, and getting to watch the video, I, mean, I get goosebumps now even thinking about it, you know, what Lisa walked through in her life in, in that situation. And yet the underlying story there is, is how love and, and Jesus mended that relationship. It brought healing, it brought forgiveness, where most of us would say it would be almost impossible to forgive her father for what he did. Yet it says because of Jesus and the redemptive story in her life, that she needed to pass that on to her father. And that's the type of love that we're talking about here. When Peter says we are to love in a way that doesn't make sense to anybody else, that when you're hurt the most, you're still going to protect, you're still going to cover that person in love, just as Jesus has done for us. And so sometimes people are unlovable, but we are to call to love them and protect them all we can. Last week in Matthew chapter 5, Pastor Dan ended his teaching. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to pick it up. But he ended his teaching by asking us, who is that person in your life that came to mind as they were talking about reconciliation, those people that have hurt us the most, that we know that we have to reconcile with? Who are those people? So I pose that same question to you. Love can be difficult. Forgiveness can be difficult. But who comes to mind? In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says, "If, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And what Paul is reminding us is that we should not be the barrier between someone and God. We should not be the barrier. You can't control what they think. You can't control what they say. You can't control what they do. But don't let you be the reason that that person won't turn to God. Okay, love protects and love covers. And the second love that Peter talked about on your outline, number two, is a recovering love, a recovering love. And this is a proactive love. So this is a love that goes out and seeks people and wants them to know about the love of Jesus. So in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, be hospitable without complaint. The word hospitable literally means loving the stranger. Loving the stranger. We get our word hospital from this. And so we are literally to love everyone, including the stranger. And this is really important for the early church because the early church was based in the, in the home. People would come into, into their homes. They would do their Bible studies. They would uh, break bread with one another. And so hospitality was huge in the early church. And so Peter's reminding them we need to be hospitable. We need to be proactive in our love, going out and seeking those people around us. And then he says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. The word complaint there is the Greek word gongusmos, which sounds like I'm mumbling through that because that's exactly what the word means. Do it without grumbling, do it without complaint, do it with love, do it with the right heart and the right attitude. Now remember as a child, and maybe you guys could put yourselves in my shoes, or maybe I was the only one, uh, you'd be sitting there doing something really important like watching TV, and mom and dad would come and say, hey, time to go clean your room, right? And I don't, I don't think very many of us sprung out of the couch and ran to our room and started cleaning with a great attitude, Right? Most of us did it, kicking stuff along the way, throwing stuff across the room, shoving stuff in the closet. So the job might get done, but with a complete wrong attitude. And what Peter is saying here and reminding us of is we are to be hospitable, we are to do nice things, but guess what? Do it without complaint. Don't be grumbling, don't be mumbling in your mind, don't be throwing stuff along the way. We are to be hospitable and love people without complaint. You see, get the job done and do it with the right heart and the right attitude. You see, here at Calvary, one of the things that we really uh, strive to do the best we can is be hospitable to people. 
Um, you know, there are barriers that people naturally have with the church. You think of church and they think of, you know, they have all these programs run, running of, you know, the people that want to take your money and the people that, you know, want, they're weird and all that stuff. And so you have to break down those barriers and those preconceived notions sometimes. And one of the ways that we do that uh, is through our hospitality. You know, you show up on campus, we have a team of people there to welcome you. You go to the cafe, we'll give you a free coffee, we'll give you a free cappuccino, a free latte, a Pepsi, a water, whatever you want, donuts. And we do it all for free. Not because we're trying to bribe people to come here, but we do it because we serve a hospitable God. And we are to carry out that hospitality, um, hospitality to other people as well. And so while our God is hospitable, we are to be hospitable as well to his people and love his people. And that's one of the ways that we show that. We want to be welcoming to people as they step on a campus, and that's why we do that. And we want to do it with the right heart and the right attitude. Hospitality is very serious to us. It's very serious to God. And Peter reminds us that we are to be hospitable without complaint. Serve, love, pray without complaint. And then he finishes off with this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. He says, as each one of you received a special gift, underline, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by strength, which God supplies. So in all things underlie God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So the third thing that he says that we should be doing to live with that urgency and that fervency in our lives is we should serve more. We should serve more. We should pray more, we should love more, we should serve more. And there's a couple of places we can serve, inside the church, we can serve outside the church, but Jesus says serve, and serve with the right attitude. You see, Peter in this passage says, all of us have gifts. And then he encourages us, we are to employ it as serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And as I was studying through that word manifold, kind of jumped out at me. And so I started looking into what Peter was trying to, to tell us there, and here's what I, here's what I found is that the word manifold can sometimes mean an array of colors, an array of colors. And that when you think of the grace of God, our God is not monotone, but he has empowered all of us and equipped us all with various gifts to reach out in various different ways to love his people. And so the idea is that God's grace shines through each one of us in a different way with your own unique gift. However God has empowered you, if you're a believer in here today, the Bible tells us that you have a gift and we are to use that and employ it to serve God and to give him the glory. See, Paul uses the description of the body. It says Christ is the head, some people the left arm, some people the right arm. But it's the same concept, that all of us have unique giftedness and unique abilities that we need to use to go out and reach his people and to serve not only in his church, but serve outside of his church as well. And so in these two verses, Peter gives us five quick things. We're going to run through these real quick. Five quick things that we need to know about our gifts. Again, if you're in here today and you said, I've given my, Lord to, given my life to Christ, then you have a spiritual gift. And how are you utilizing that today? But here's what he says. Number one, he says, every believer has a spiritual gift. Every believer has a gift. So everybody in here, again, that has given their life to Christ has a gift. For some of us, it's uh, teaching. Some of us, it's uh, administration. There's a bunch of different gifts. Number two, our gifts are unique. Our gifts are unique. Your gift is not my gift. My gift might not be uh, your gift. And so some of us would say, getting up here and, and teaching and talking in front of a couple hundred people, absolutely not. Never in my life might I step up here and do that. Well, the teaching is probably not your gift. 
you know, but if you go into my office and you look at my desk, you'll quickly learn that administration is not my gift, right? And so, you know, people come to my office and say, hey, do you have that paper? I'm like, yep, just give me a couple minutes because it's here. I know it's there. That's the good thing. I just don't know exactly where here in this vicinity it is, right? So administration, not my gift. Some of you guys love that stuff. But the point is, we all have a unique gift, and that's because I'm here to support you, you're here to support me, we're here to support the church, we're here to support God's people, and if we all had the same gift, it'd be very hard to do that. If we were all evangelists, that'd be awesome. We're leading people to Christ, but they have no idea what to do next, you know? And so there are evangelists in here that have a heart and a passion to go out and lead people to Christ. And then there are teachers and preachers that come in and help them grow in their faith. There are those that help pray for them, that are there to, to love them, and all of us have our own unique gifts. The third thing Peter wants to know about our gifts is we should use it to help others. We should use it to help others. Number four, all gifts are helpful. All gifts are helpful. It's not like somebody got that one gift that you can't use. You know, everybody's gifts are helpful. You know, and, and as I was thinking through that one, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of times people we talk to our first impressions team and, you know, I try and, and thank them for their service and for being here to help. And, you know, a lot of times from, from the, especially the guys that hold the doors out here, it's like, well, I'm just holding the door, you know, and it's like, I get that. But it's incredibly important to what we do here. When we talk about the hospitality and the love we want to have for people, holding a door, you know, coming in on Thursday mornings and getting the programs ready for church on Sunday, uh, serving a coffee in the cafe, all those things are vitally important to make this church work, to keep us moving forward, to keep us ticking, and to keep us showing the love and hospitality for God's people. So all gifts are helpful. No matter what you're doing on this campus, no matter how you're serving, all gifts are helpful. And number five, the fifth thing he says about gifts is we are to share our gifts to glorify God. We are to share our gifts to glorify God. See, Peter said we should use our gifts so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. We are to use our gifts when we do, we glorify God. On the flip side, Peter is saying that, guess what? If we are choosing to sit on the sidelines and not utilize our gift, then we are robbing God of the glory that he deserves. If I'm not using the gift that he's empowered me with, then I'm robbing God of the glory that he deserves. And I think that some of us in here today would say, you know what, I need to find my place to serve. You know, the church needs every single one of us to come together to make this thing work. And not just our church, I'm talking about the big C church, every church around us, every church around the world. People are empowered and equipped to go out and do God's work. And now it's our job to go out and do something with that empowerment, do something with that equipping to help the overall church. Look at it this way. I want to put a picture up on, on the screen here for a second. These are my, my three beautiful kids. It's Madison on the left. Taylor is on the right. And Isaiah, they're in the middle. Would you say they're cute? Yeah. Okay, if you don't, see me after the service. Okay. <laughs> so those are my three kids. As many of you guys know we have number four on the way. We're super excited about that. But these are my three kids. And uh, every day, every Sunday when we come to church, we drop them off at children's ministry. So Madison goes to elementary Taylor and Isaiah go over to preschool. And the only reason that that takes place is because we have people in the church that say, you know what, I love working with kids. I love kids. Now again, that giftedness is not for everybody. I get that. But there are those of you here that say, you know what, I love kids. In the preschool ministry, we get the opportunity to, uh, to play with them, to do a Bible study with them, to do crafts with them. You get to have goldfish, right? <laughs> right? 
But the fact is, is that we need people to step up and make that happen. If you showed up and nobody showed up to serve, guess what? We have no place for your kids to go. And not only do we believe that we're planting a seed in the lives of these kids, but because we have people giving of their time and their giftedness to watch my kids, we're able to come in and, and hear the teaching and be invested in ourselves, to be empowered to go home and to be a better mom and dad, to be a better husband and wife, because I'm not having to wrangle my kids around the auditorium. We're not distracting others. We all get to come in and enjoy the teaching each week because people are giving of their gifts and their talents and their desires to help make this happen. You get to go to the cafe and enjoy a coffee because people are giving of their gifts and their talents and their desires to make that happen. And I can tell you that preschool and cafe paid me the most money this week to say, they need your help. But in all seriousness, this only happens because we have people here that help us make it happen. It's not because I'm up here. It's not because Pastor Dan's up here every week. It's because people like you are using their gifts and consciously saying, you know what? I want to give God the glory for what he's given me, and I want to pay that forward. I want to pass it on to others, and I want to love other people. When you walked in today, you all got a connection card. I encourage you guys to, to pull that out. And on the back, it says, my next step and it says, I want to find my place to serve. If you're not yet found your, found your place to serve here at the church, I'm going to encourage you right now to pull that out, mark it off. If you know where you want to serve, write it on the connection card. If you don't, we will contact you. And trust me, we will find your place to serve. We can't do this without you. We all are called to work together, to use our giftedness together to make this thing happen each week. And so the other thing I was talking about is serving outside of the church. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been playing outreach videos at the end of the announcements and sharing some, some statistics with you all. And I wanted to uh, reiterate some of those. Within 10 miles of our church, there are about 140,000 people, 110,000 of which are unchurched, which means they don't attend anywhere or never have attended church. So right now they've left the church or they're not attending church anywhere. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, West Palm Beach, from West Palm to Fort Pierce, it ranks 11th in the country for unchurched people. So out of our entire country, the area that we live is 11th in the country for unchurched people. That's people that are never, uh, have never gone to church or people that have walked away from the church. This is all from the Barner Research Group. You guys are familiar with them, one of the leading research groups in the country. And uh, even take a step further, in the survey they asked, um, people that have never stepped foot in church, so not unchurched, but never churched individuals. So people that say, I've never even stepped foot in a church. West Palm Beach to Fort Pierce ranks number one in the entire country for people that would say, I've never stepped foot in a church. Number one. On that list, New York City was number three. Santa Barbara, California, number two. West Palm Beach, number one. And when I hear that, that reminds me, I guess what? We have a huge mountain to climb. And we, Calvary, are a very small piece of that mountain. We have other churches around us that are all doing their part as well. But it all starts with us. We've all been empowered. We've all been equipped by God to go out and use our giftedness for his glory. And that includes just going out and saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me this week? And statistically, 82% of people would accept that invitation and come to church if they were just asked. If they are just asked, if you took the time to say, Join me this Sunday and come to church. Most likely they would say yes. And so we leave this place today with a couple of things to chew on. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dan shared that we as believers are to be salt and light to the world. 
We all have a calling. We all have a giftedness. We're all empowered to go out and love his people. But he can't do it alone. He is bringing us along for the ride. He's equipped us and empowered us to go out there and join along with God to reach his people. And so today we start that process. We've been talking about our outreach day. And today, after the third service, we're going to have a group of people taking water bottles and invite cars to the beach, to local areas, and going out and just passing people and inviting people to church. And for some of you, you think that is way outside of my comfort zone. It is for me too. But it's a simple invitation. Come and join us for church. And again, if it's not this church, hopefully it's the church down the road. You know, we're not in this to be, it's only about us. But I can tell you that, you know, if you were here last week, Pastor Dan said we're getting ready to break ground on this building here soon. We're going through the process. We're moving forward finally and getting that building up off the ground. But I can tell you that where, what that means to me is now's not the time to become inclusive. To say it's all about us and our church because we've got to make this thing happen. Now is the time that we need to get outside of these walls and let Jupiter and Jupiter Farms and Hope Sound and Palm Beach Gardens let them know, hey, we're here and we love you. So now is the time where our work really begins, is to let people know, you know what, we're going to break down barriers. I'm not going to be the barrier between you and God, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to serve you, as Peter has called us to do today. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful uh, for your word. And God, we're thankful for the challenge that you lay out before us, God. We know that you never promised that this life would be easy, and you never promised that, uh, Father, we wouldn't face uncomfortable tasks. But God, we do know that you are in control of all things. We know that you've empowered us and equipped us to do your work. And so God, at the end of the day, we're going to fall back and trust in your spirit to guide us, your spirit to empower us, your spirit to entrust us with all of these things, God. And so I pray today that as we leave this auditorium today, that we leave here challenged, Father. Not feeling bad for ourselves, but Father, challenged to step up and bring you the glory that you deserve. Father, it's because of your son Jesus and and the action that he took, his death on the cross, his resurrection, Father, that we get to be here today, that we get to worship you, but God, that we get to go out and tell people about the hope that they have because of you. So God, I pray today that you will come alongside of us, that you'll continue to encourage us and equip us and empower us to step out, Father, as followers of you. And God, more importantly, for those that are in this room right now that say, you know what, I haven't even taken that first step and given my life to Christ. I pray that today your spirit moves in a way to let them know that they are loved, Father, that they have hope and that they have a future because of you. Jesus, we love you and we're grateful for all that you do in our lives, Father, for the way that you encourage us, the way that you empower us, Father. We pray that we are good stewards of all that you've done for us. We love you. May you go before us this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You all have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.